0: Turn with me to Isaiah 66 as we come to the final chapter in this book. We've been in it for some time now, as Todd said. We will be preaching this chapter today in its entirety. It's a big, it's a big chunk, but that's okay. Uh, We'll be starting, um, looking at the book of Galatians next week, so I encourage you to read that ahead of time. It's not even something that you, you know, you could read the whole thing in less than an hour, especially if you listen to it, and so I encourage you to do that because it will be a good foundation as we start that series, but before we do that, we have to finish this awesome book that we've been in for a while, and so uh, before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us with it because we... Many times don't even understand its importance. We see it as important, but we don't realize that it is really the only thing that we can trust to be true and right at all times. We can't even trust ourselves. We definitely cannot trust our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we come here, that you would right our hearts, that you would transform our minds. That you would show us yourself in the pages here before us. That you would teach us more about yourself and how we ought to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I read this passage today, remind reminded me of a concept in biology that's called serotony. And if you're not familiar with that, if you haven't taken a botany class like I have, Um, This is the idea that plants need some sort of trigger in order to induce flowering and reproduction. probably familiar with some of this in nature, and one of the most studied versions of this idea is the idea of something called pyrosyns, which has that P-Y-R prefix, which means fire. And these kinds of plants only reproduce in the presence of fire. Their flowering structures, their cones, whatever it is, have a kind of glue on them that like trap the seeds and when the fire gets near those those contraptions or whatever they are heat up enough to release those seeds out into the ground and then those plants can grow It's a it's a normal part of nature especially some of these places that catch on fire all the time those plants are ready for it even though the people definitely are not ready for it this is something that seems so destructive But it actually brings new life and keeps future generations of these plants going. In our text today, we have that kind of picture where something has to be destroyed, but something new and better is going to come out of it. And it's not an accidental kind of thing. It's not an asterisk in the plan of God. Rather, it demonstrates his perfect redemptive decree as a sovereign Lord. This text looks forward to a time in Isaiah's future, both his not so distant future, with the people who are returning home from exile, and to a time that still remains even in our own future, which is the final coming of the kingdom of the Lord. Yet, the holy, unchangeable God has a plan for his for redemption for his people now, and that is for his children, whether it be in Isaiah's time on our own time, to bring about this redemptive decree by the preaching of the gospel. So as we look at this final chapter in Isaiah today, we'll see this kind of culmination happening. As This is the culmination not only of the main message of his work, but we see this same kind of thing mirrored in a lot of the New Testament works as well. This is why Isaiah is often called the first gospel. So as we Look at our text today, we'll divide it into three parts. The old is gone, the new is come, and then finally, his kingdom come. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Isaiah 66 in its entirety, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 66, starting at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is this place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents the grain offering like one who offers pig blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them, and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes, and chose that which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my namesake have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, the sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her and joy, all you who mourn over her that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, and you shall be carried upon her hip, and bouncing upon her knee, as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. So shall... You you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury, and his rebuke with the flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, And those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination of mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations of Tarshish and Pool and Lud, who draw a bow to Tubal and Jabin, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. But as the new heavens, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. For new moon, or from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies, of men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So remember last week as we looked at 65, we have a clear picture there in Isaiah 65 of the nature of man before Christ and the nature of man after Christ, in which which Christ changes him and makes him new. From my vantage point, again, I think Isaiah 65 is one of the clearest teachings and understandings of that concept in the Old Testament. And it's so clear, in fact, that when Paul teaches the same thing, He quotes from Isaiah 65 quite a bit as he teaches it in Romans 9 and 10. And so as we come into our text today, having that in the backdrop, we are introduced to this idea. We're going to see what looks like as they're coming back from Babylon. The captives are coming back from Babylon, from exile, and they have some things to do. And one of those things they have to do is to rebuild the temple. And so the books of Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah speak of this particular time period, this rebuilding of the temple. Ezra is more of a narrative approach, and the two prophets I mentioned are more of the teaching of those prophets concerning this time period. The temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And again, consider the the importance of the temple in the Jewish worship. It was the center of worship. As you read through the book of Ezra, You read how they start rebuilding the temple, and yet they're getting discouraged for various reasons as they rebuild. And so these prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, they come in and they restore hope in that process. And they see it through to conclusion. And this, what's called the second temple of Jerusalem, was a great thing. It was a glorious building, a wonderful sort of thing, and it would be a a place of worship for the people of God For years and years to come. Yet. With that coming of the temple. There were also bad things. That came along with it. And we see that as we read the works of the New Testament. Particularly as we read the Gospels. And seeing Jesus' life. As he interacted with two of the temple authorities. The Pharisees. And the Sadducees. Who took the worship of God. And exchanged it for the worship of man. And the worship of his traditions. So as our text opens, you're going to see that theme come right out of the first several verses. This idea of the temple coming back, yet those who are in it being an abomination, the way that they worship. There's some terrible things going on, but yet from it, the Lord is going to bring something good. That brings us to the first point, the old is gone. Look at me again at verse 1. Thus says the Lord: Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? So here, God announces Himself. He compares. He, he and He's saying, who, "Who could possibly even build a house for Me?" It's kind of a rhetorical question, right? What is this place, this house that you would build for Me? He's the Creator God. Where's this place that I need to rest? That you're that you're making? The whole earth is his footstool. Why would he need a house to dwell in? And again, this is the idea that people think that they can contain God within this temple. Not physically, of course, at all. But that they could define him by choosing to worship him in a certain way. God reminds us quickly that it's not the how of worship, the things that we do, more so than it is the heart behind it. All these things my hand has made, verse 2. And so all these things came to be. But this is the one in whom I I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And then he gives some examples of those worship practices there in verses 3 and 4. And he kind of compares things that he has ordained with the thing that it's become. He who slaughters an ox. Is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb. Is like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering. Again this is a good thing. presenting a grain offering. He has a lot of rules for that. But then there's ones that would offer pig's blood. Which is not a good thing. And so he's he's comparing these things that were good. And then he compares them with something that's bad. You did all these things. Yet... You still did not call upon my name. You still did not call upon my name. Verse 4. I will choose harsh treatment for them and and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. And it shows the divide there in verse 5. Your brothers who hate you. So remember verse, in chapter 65, we had these two groups. We had the people of the Lord and this people that were not the Lord's. And you see this divide here between them in verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But those who would divide will be put to shame. It shows that they're the ones that are going to be put to shame, not those who worship in the right way. And there's this divide between those who worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped and those that are not doing that. All this prophecy concerning the temple would be found in its fulfillment with the destruction of the temple and finally in 70 AD by Rome. Israel had built this beautiful temple to the Lord. It's a good thing and it was filled with this self-centered worship. And even when the Son of Man came, the Son of Man came, Jesus came and he went into the temple to speak to those people. Even Jesus speaking to them didn't sway them. Rather than hear his voice, rather than turn from their wicked ways of worship, they killed him instead and they went about their business. As we read things like this, brothers and sisters in Christ, we read about these abominations of the temple. It might be easy to read about them and look and think, well, thank goodness, I'm not like those who worship God the wrong way. It's really easy to do that because we don't put ourselves in the box of those who break a dog's neck or those who offer pig's blood. If we're not doing those things, Or something like that, whatever today's equivalent of that would be. We only have God to thank for that. Because were it not for Jesus, we'd all be self-centered worshipers. And even on our best days, even in Christ on our best days, we are just recovering Pharisees and recovering Sadducees. Thinking that the standard that we create is enough to save ourselves and at the same time, condemn others. And understand, there wasn't anything wrong with the religion of the day. Just read the first several books of the Bible, where the Lord laid out the way that they ought to worship in that day and time. It was prescribed by God until Jesus came as a fulfillment of those things. Yet when Jesus came as a fulfillment of those things, they rejected Jesus and chose their traditions over him we need to understand this in a few ways today in the church there's nothing wrong with religious practices of our day we have several in this church we sing together, we have the sacraments, we have the preaching of the word, there are several things that are religious practices and you hear people say things like well, it's not a religion it's a relationship and they totally mean well when they say those things But typically the people that I hear say that the most are the ones who don't attend church regularly, who don't participate in the sacraments, who don't give to their churches, who regularly forsake the gathering of believers. We still very much have religious practice today, and those things aren't bad. But we have to understand, brothers and sisters in Christ, they're no substitute for a Savior who gave them to us in the first place. Even the unbeliever, worship something or someone and that is the old in us that has to go away that is the old in us that went away in christ and if you're here today and you're not in christ that is the old that has to go away so that you can worship the one true god anything in us that would worship anything or anyone other than our creator is wrong And in order for that to take place in the people of God, for all time and for all eternity, God had to come himself in order to make that change happen. And it wasn't going to take place in the people who were dead in their trespasses. They had to be reborn. They had to be made alive again. And that brings us to this next point, the new is come. Look with me again at verses 7 through 9. So you have here this picture of a, of, of a birth, right? Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered her son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in a moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? So here's a picture again of the birth of a child. But the caveat at the end there that the Lord is the one who's bringing this about. It's the picture of a mother giving birth. Out of the old comes something brand new. The previous picture of the temple is this picture of the old covenant. The way that the Lord would have had his people worship him until Christ came complete even with those who would make an abomination of it before him. Yet from that, one would be born who would come as a fulfillment of it and bring with him a new way to worship the Lord. Not in the temple with the blood of sheep and goats, but in spirit and in truth, because the once for all atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people was there he came the picture of the remnant of God's people here being born first Christ obviously the firstborn and then all of those who are his with him the the Old Testament Todd read from uh, Isaiah 6 this morning again highlighting that in the Old Testament there's this idea of the remnant that there's always going to be a people of God in the new testament this gathering has a new name it's called the church and that people will be cared for by the one who birthed her it says this is a great picture about how the church came to be in the new testament in the midst of that second temple or second temple judaism not in order that the church might retain those distinctives at all we don't retain the distinctives of second temple judaism we don't need sheep and goats we have jesus We don't need a temple, we have Jesus. We don't need an altar, we have Jesus. And so all of those things have gone away. The book of Hebrews is a perfect telling of that whole idea. Not in order that we retain those distinctives, but that they would be fulfilled in him. And this would usher forth what the Bible calls a new covenant with God. While the early church remained in the midst of Israel for some time, really up until the destruction of the temple I mentioned earlier, the church grew, it would leave those bounds, and it would spread throughout the entire known world. Much of Jesus' ministry, much of his words, consider this idea. They look at this idea as a whole. I mean, Think about what Jesus told people while he was walking on the earth. Think about what he told Nicodemus. In John 3. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? He understood all these things as well as anybody should understand them. But what did he tell him? Nicodemus says, how, how do I see the kingdom of God? You have to be reborn. You have to be born again. That's what we're seeing here in Isaiah 66 also. He was a Pharisee who held the law desperately for his own salvation, and he's now being told that salvation doesn't come from the law. But instead you have to be reborn. Instead you have to believe in the Son. When Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple in John chapter 2 they asked him this is a big deal. Jesus is in the temple. This is the place where they worship. Here's Jesus the coming of the Son of God and he drives out the money changers and they come to him they said how can you even do this? What sign will you show us that you're able to do these things. Destroy the temple. He said. And in three days I'll build it again. It'll be reborn. I'll make it into something right. And good. Jesus coming fulfilled the religious practices of the temple of God. Because he's a better priest. He's a better sacrifice. And he doesn't live in a temple made by man. But he lives in the hearts of his people. The Pharisees wouldn't hear this message at all. They wouldn't have anything to do with it. In fact, they hated it. They killed Jesus for it. They killed those who preached it. They they stoned a man that soon after his resurrection, a man by the name of Stephen, he was preaching this very thing. He quoted from Isaiah 66 in his sermon as he stood trial for blasphemy, pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of all the things that those religious folk held dear and they killed him for it. The new has come in Jesus. No longer do we have to go for a priest to speak to our Lord. We are encouraged to go to the Father boldly because we, each one of us in the church are called a royal priesthood in Christ. Jesus is our great high priest, he has changed us, and because of his righteousness, we are found right before God. This is nothing that we can bring about on our own. As he says in verse 9 there, this is something that he has done, something that he is causing to bring forth. And so the question for us As those that he has changed, as we look at a world around us that is unchanged, as we look at a world around us that is still dead in its trespasses and sins, how then should we view the world? Lord Jesus came to give us new life. I mean, you think about the things that we sing at Christmas, that we just sang at Christmas. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. But in order to bring this cleansing about of His creation, of all that He's doing, what does He say that He's going to come with? Well, in verse 15 through 17, we see that. He's coming with fire. Behold, the Lord will come in fire in His chariots like the whirlwind to render His anger and fury and rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by His sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. And if this is going to happen, brothers and sisters in Christ, if he's going to purify the world, if he's going to purify all things with this, what should we do? For those of us who have new life, how then can we offer it to others? Well, Isaiah gives us instructions on what we should do. And we see this in the third point, his kingdom come. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming. To gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will, from them I will send survivors to the nations. And he names these nations. Tarshish, Pole, and Lud, and Tubal, and Javan. Which in the known world would have been the extremities of their known world. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. For Isaiah, this is the future kind of reality. But for us, we are living in this time today. Ever since Jesus is coming. Not today specifically. Ever since Jesus is coming, this has been the mandate of the church. That people from all nations and tongues would hear the gospel. That they would be converted. Being used. And then those people who hear the gospel who Jesus changes, would then be used as his instrument to go out into the world and to bring that same truth. Just as he will use fire to cleanse the earth, he will use the preaching of the gospel to bring about the salvation of the lost. And he could do whatever he pleases. We know that. But he uses the foolishness of preaching to bring about Salvation of his people. Verses twenty through twenty-three show this idea that the Gentiles are even going to be used to preach salvation to the Jews, which is just crazy if you think about it from a historical perspective. All of these things first given to the Jewish people, and now it's going out to all the nations, and the gospel is being brought back to them. And they shall bring all your brothers. It's talking to the Jewish people from all the nations. As an offering to the Lord on horses, he goes on and on talking about they're going to come from all nations to worship the Lord. We saw this work with the apostles. We see it even now as the Jewish people are hearing the word of the Lord and turning to him, turning to Jesus alone for salvation, because there is no salvation outside of Jesus. The gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews and for the Gentiles. This is a fulfillment of the promises to given to Abraham, that through him the nations of the world will be blessed. This blessing is going to come through his seed, Jesus Christ, and then through the preaching of the gospel, from Jesus to the whole world. And this last dichotomy that we see here at the end reminds us of the plain truth of Isaiah, and again the whole of scripture, that there are those who are going to be saved, and those people who are going to be with him for all eternity. Look with me at 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come and worship before me. This shows the eternality of where we're going in him. But notice not everyone is going. Not everyone is going to worship him for all time. And he's and not everyone is going to remain in him. Because we also have verse 24. This is the last verse of Isaiah reminding us. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. And notice, their death isn't just a one-time sort of thing. Because... For their worm shall not die. Their fire shall not be quenched. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Just as those who are his will remain forever in him, those who are not his will remain apart from him forever. Jesus used this verse in his own teaching on hell when he compared it to Jerusalem's garbage dump, a place where the fire doesn't go out And the worm doesn't die. The fire doesn't go out. And the worm doesn't die. Because they never lack for fuel. In that place. The hell that Jesus spoke of. Was eternal and continual. Just like the new heavens and the new earth. That he spoke of. Were eternal and continual. And that's it. There's no third option. To everyone who hears this. There's not another thing. That you can do. Concerning the Lord, you either believe in Him or you don't. Either you will spend the eternity with Jesus and His covenant people or you will spend the eternity without Him as His eternal object of wrath. And He is the difference maker, not you. He's the one who makes the difference. And so in order to gain this reward that He offers, you need only to call upon His name. And be saved. Believe that he is risen. From the dead. That death. Is put to death. That sin is no more. Believe that he is Lord. And you can be saved. For the Christian. We have a responsibility. As the people of God. To preach this message. To the world. Their religion. Won't save them. It's not even meant to. It's not meant to save them. Whether they're religion, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be wealth, safety, it's a big one nowadays, science, whatever it is, it can't save them, only Jesus can. And that's the message the church must preach. In conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us cling to Jesus. He's our hope too, the one who's given us new birth, a new life in him, and let us be preachers of the gospel, which is the only power to save. Let's go down and pray. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us as we understand this task, as we understand this truth. There is no third option. Those of us who have been found in you, Lord, help us to not only cling to that hope, there is no other hope, even for us your people. But also, Lord, help us to offer that hope to the world, because there will come a time when there will be no time. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be faithful preachers of your word. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.